Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogesville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Acts chapter 15, verse 1 through 12. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. Therefore, Being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. I'm just going to pause there for a second. So they get to their home base of Antioch, and they're excited. They're sharing their missions report. Everybody's rejoicing in them. But people came from out of town and stirred up the Jews there in Antioch and basically created this dispute and this debate over this theological issue, which was, what about the law of God concerning circumcision? Should we not require that to be for all the Gentiles who are converting to Christianity? And the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, they were saying, absolutely not. This is not a requirement that should be added to the gospel. Uh, And then the people were at such dispute and they couldn't really agree. So they said, well, let's send Paul and Barnabas off to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was kind of the, uh, the hub of the church. It was the beginning. It's where the church began. There were many more apostles that were still working there in Jerusalem and there were elders and there were teachers of God, uh, of God's word there in Jerusalem. So they basically sent them to their mother church Uh, so that they could debate there and have a discussion with more of the church leaders and more of the church elders. And and so they kind of built what was considered to be kind of like a council, a council of the Lord, so that they could determine what was to be true. But along the way, they were stopping in all these little cities, and they were encouraging the believers along the way, and people were rejoicing at the spread of the gospel. So that's where we begin. Verse 4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So they basically took the debate from Antioch to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, uh, the elders were gathered together, the apostles were gathered together, religious leaders were gathered together, and some of the Pharisees were gathered together. And some of the people stood up and said the same thing. Yep, we need to require them to obey this law. And then in verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, so now Peter is going to speak. Uh, It's it's a little bit of a mini-sermon, but it's not really a sermon. It's more of an argument. He's giving, it's a debate. So this is kind of a theological discussion that they're having amongst all the church leaders. And Peter is going to stand up and give his explanation. Notice his words. 
Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. So he's referring to prophecies about how God was going to choose to save even some of the Gentiles, that they would hear the gospel and they would believe. In verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And when he says us, he's referring to the Jews, because Peter was Jewish. So he's saying, that God, he's saying God gave the Holy Spirit to non-Jewish people, just like he gave the Holy Spirit to Jewish people. And then he said in verse 9, and he made no distinction between us and them. And that he was speaking to this whole circumcision debate, basically saying that was a non-issue to God at this point. And then he was saying he was cleansing their hearts by faith. So God was using faith to bring about salvation in the hearts of these new believers. And then verse 10, Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Now, you'll notice here that the kind of the conclusion of Peter's message to the people was that in verse 11, his conclusion was, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. That was his conclusion. So we have this debate about what should be added to salvation, and he says nothing should be added to the requirements of salvation because the only thing required for salvation is the grace of God being poured out on mankind. Now, notice here they're not necessarily debating whether believers should be obedient to the Lord and do good deeds and walk in God's law. They're debating specifically what should be added to salvation. If you'll notice in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, Some men came down from from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is particularly uh, a discussion about what's being added to the requirements for salvation. What, What does it take for a person to be saved? Now, this is something that we've talked about a lot in our fellowship, and it is that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And if we put our faith in, if we trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, then the blood of Jesus Christ covers all of our sin and all of our unrighteousness, and he takes his righteous robes, and spiritually speaking, He gives us his righteousness, and then he takes our unrighteousness with him to the cross. And he died on the cross, and he buried our unrighteousness in the grave with him and paid the full price that was due for all of my sins. And all of that is completed by Jesus. 
To say anything else would be to say that the blood of Jesus is not enough or to say that the blood of Jesus didn't cover all of my sins or that the blood of Jesus is not sufficient to pay for all of my sins, that it was good and it paid for some of my sins, but not all of my sins. And all of these ideas would be to say that Jesus is not who he says he is, which amounts to a false teaching. And so what Peter and Paul and Barnabas and the church leaders are trying to say is that you can be at ease that the salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ that God has given to you is sufficient. You don't need anything else. You don't need anything else to earn or buy your salvation. You just need the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, his Savior, our Savior. So that secures our position before God. We are holy, we are righteous, we are redeemed, we are clean, we are forgiven, and we are uncondemned before a holy and righteous God. That should give us joy, that should give us peace, that should give us confidence, that should help us to live our lives as believers in Jesus Christ with hope and with excitement. But these religious leaders came along and said, that's not enough. You need more. And Peter said, absolutely not. So let's walk through some of these things that Peter said. Um, you'll notice here that they gathered the church members together. And if you read chapter 15, verse 1, all the way down through verse 35. We're not going to get through all that this morning, but that's really the full picture of what happened in Jerusalem. I want to just give you a list of all the people that were there, and you're going to recognize a lot of these people's names. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were there. Peter was there. James, he actually he was there, and he speaks up a little bit later, and he shares a few things. And then um, Judas, who was called Barsabbas, was there. That's not the same Judas that betrayed Jesus. That's a different Judas. He was, uh, he was a, a disciple and a leader in the church. And then Silas was there. He was uh, a leader within the church. And then there was a number of just what were considered to be church elders. They were all gathered together and they came to this agreement on the truth. And then after coming to an agreement, they wrote a letter to, for, for Paul and Barnabas to take back to Antioch and to encourage the church with. And in that letter, they were saying nothing needs to be added to the requirements of salvation. Now, there, if you read all of this, especially James, what James had to say, you're going to see that they did talk about a few things that they should do. But I believe that as you read that, that can get a little confusing. But as you read that, he's talking about as believers, there are some things that you need to be doing, walking in obedience to God for the sake of walking rightly with the Lord, but it has no bearing on what it takes for you to be saved. What it takes for you to be saved is grace alone through faith alone. And that was the, the general encouragement of this letter that they sent back to the church because they were trying to help encourage them. So let's notice a few things that Peter said in his sermon. First of all, as prophesied, God chose Gentiles to hear the word of the gospel and to believe. He said in 
Verse 6, the apostles and elders came together to look into the matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among them that by the mouth of the Gentiles, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. So he's referring to prophecies of old, saying that God has prophesied long ago that people would believe in Jesus Christ and they would um, they would hear the gospel and they would actually believe the gospel. And then in verse 8, he says, And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit. Meaning that God poured out his Holy Spirit on them in the same way that he pours it out in us. So that means that the Holy Spirit is given to all people who believe in Jesus. It's not an outpouring that comes later as a result of righteous living. It's not something that comes as a result of us uh, doing more things that are pleasing to God or, or having some form of a mystical experience with God. Being given the Holy Spirit is what it means to be saved. We cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws our hearts to God. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit shows us of our need for a Savior. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the truth. The Holy Spirit raises our dead heart from the, from the dead to give us new life. The Holy Spirit applies the blood of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit is given to dwell within us for the rest, for all of eternity. So the Holy Spirit is how we receive and come to how we receive salvation and come to know God. If you were convicted of your sins, it's because the Holy Spirit convicted you. If you came to see and believe that God is true and is who he says he is, it's because the Holy Spirit helped you believe. If you chose to trust in Jesus Christ by faith, it's because the Holy Spirit gave you your faith. All of this comes as a gift of God. It's the grace of God poured out through the Holy Spirit of God. That is for all people whom God has chosen to give this to and all people who believe by faith, which includes Gentiles and Jews. So he says God made no distinction. It wasn't based on any of their behaviors, but the result was cleansing that came through faith. And faith is the, the instrument that God uses in our lives to bring about salvation. It is belief. He's saying believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is what faith is. It is to believe. It is to trust. And so God is calling all believer, all people to believe in him. But it is good to note that those who believe in him have been given that faith by the Holy Spirit. But then, notice something else that he says about the false teaching. And this is really important for us to get our, um, to understand. He says, therefore, why do you put God to the test? This is in verse 10. Why do you put God to the test? And that is an indication that these people that are adding to the gospel that are adding further requirements to the good news of Jesus Christ and making it, instead of good news of Jesus Christ, they're making it hard news of Jesus Christ. They're saying that, Paul, what Peter is saying is you're testing the Lord. 
you're putting God to the test. Now, I think it's really good to understand, um, to help us understand what he means by that, would be to go to um, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 and verse... Um, excuse me, it's not Galatians chapter 1. Yes, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul wrote a letter back to the Galatian churches. The Galatian people in the Galatian region, they were already wrestling with because these people that were trying to add this requirement to the gospel, they were going all over the place following Paul and Barnabas, the missionaries, as they were planting churches and sowing this seed of false teaching everywhere they went. And so Paul sends this letter back to the Galatians and he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. So already some of these new believers were believing the false gospel. And so they were adding to their lives laws and religious requirements that they didn't need to add. And they were trusting in those religious requirements to meet the approval of God. And Paul says, why did you desert your freedom in Jesus for more bondage? He says, it's really not even a different gospel. It's a false gospel. It's not a real gospel. It's not good news. It's bad news. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved as long as you do this, 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 and this. And if you don't do these things, then you're probably not saved. And that amounts to a salvation by works and a salvation by the requirements of man-made requirements. And so he says, I'm amazed that you're deserting God for this. Why did you guys give this up for a false gospel? In Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, which is really not another... Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So these people are, dis, are, they are being disturbed in their souls and the gospel of Jesus Christ is being twisted and it is being distorted. But look what he says in verse 8. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preach to you he is to be accursed he is to be accursed for i am now for am i now seeking the favor of men or of god or am i striving to please men if i were still trying to please men i would not um i would not be a bondservant of christ you know i skipped a verse i wanted to read there i'm sorry this is galatians chapter one i'm going to read verse eight and nine because i messed that all up you ready Verse 8, it says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. So it's two times he says these false teachers should be accursed. That word accursed means anathema which basically means that it is to be given over, that person is to be given over to the curse or devoted to death. Now, that is not something that he is telling the church to do. It is a pronouncement of what God's judgment is. He is basically saying that God's judgment of false teachers is to give them over to death. 
It is to be accursed. God takes it very seriously when someone takes his good gospel and the purity and the beauty and the holiness of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, and the sufficiency of the work of Jesus Christ and distorts that and says that the work of Jesus is not enough. But you also need all these other things in order to be saved. God takes that so seriously because what it does is put a barrier between a person who is needing to hear the gospel and it's causing them to not be able to hear the truth of the gospel and it's keeping people from being saved. So it's preventing people from knowing the true God and knowing the true gospel of Jesus Christ because this this distortion is taking place. So there in Galatians, Paul is saying, hey, listen, this is a very serious thing. You're putting God to the test by leading these people astray. You need to be very careful about adding things to the gospel that shouldn't be there. But then also notice in Acts chapter 15, verse 10, as Peter's preaching, he says, Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test? By placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither the fathers nor we have been able to bear. Now that yoke is, that's a reference to a, um, um, uh, a piece of wood oftentimes that would be shaped and built for the purpose of laying across the shoulders of an ox. And a load would be tied to that yoke. It's tied around the, the, the shoulders of the ox so that as the ox was driven forward, it would pull the load whether it be a cart or whether it be something in a field that would help plow the field, etc. But oftentimes the yoke was extremely heavy. So whenever you read that in scripture in reference to it being placed on the shoulders of a human being, it's a reference to something that's a really heavy weight that's being placed on the neck and the shoulders of a person. And what Peter is saying is you're taking this law that God does not require for salvation and you're resting it on the shoulders of people who need Jesus and it's unnecessary. And what he says about the yoke, he says, we've, uh, he says a yoke, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear, meaning the law of God, a reference to the fact that all of the law of God was so heavy and it was an impossible task. It was a law that was the holy requirement of God. It is a reflection of the holiness of God and it is good. But it was human beings were unable to bear it. All it did was show us that we were in desperate need of a savior because we could not fully obey the law of God. It was too heavy to bear. And what Peter is saying is you're taking that and putting it back on the shoulders of these people when Jesus fulfilled the law on their behalf already. And so the assurance for us as we're reading this is to be reminded that Jesus has fulfilled the law on our behalf so that the law of God does not have to be placed upon our shoulders in order for us to earn the approval of God, in order for us to have the righteousness of God. The law of God cannot achieve that for us. And anyone, any church, any teacher who attempts to add that back to the requirements for salvation, according to Peter and according to the general consensus of all the apostles that were gathered together here in Jerusalem, the general consensus is that is false teaching, to add it back. 
And I believe that if you were to, I don't think you have to go very far at all here in Troop County to find people that are adding requirements to the gospel of Jesus Christ and weighing people down in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of biblical Christianity, teaching. I think sometimes I'll be, I want to give some people the benefit of the doubt. Not everyone's nefarious and has malice in their heart as they're doing this. A lot of times it's unintentional. A lot of times it simply comes because of a lack of understanding of what the scripture teaches. Sometimes even pastors make mistakes in this and mislead their people. But it's very common, even amongst Baptist churches. And I'm not trying to be mean to the Baptists. We are Southern Baptist Church. But sometimes even amongst Baptist churches, we have a tendency to misrepresent the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ in such a way that we take the law of God and put it back. Now, we're not requiring that people go out and be circumcised. That's not part of our doctrinal position. But we sometimes do require things as a part of what we consider to be an approval, would bring the approval of God. And, and God calls it false teaching. We ought to be very careful. But I'm not encouraging us as a church this morning to go out looking for that so much as to say, I think for all of us as believers, one, we need to be careful about falling prey to that, but we also need to be careful um, and we also need to be assured that what Jesus has done for us is complete. And we don't, if we have struggled with the bondage of the law in the past, we've come out of some more... um, some more uh, legalistic belief systems over the years, uh, it's good to be reminded again that we do not have to be weighed down by an unnecessary law. Now, I just want, I'm not going to re-preach this, but last week we preached the other half of the book of Galatians where Paul, uh, he started off by saying, don't be deceived by this, you're, you know, by this false teaching. You're saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ alone. But then he also says, now that, uh, now that you are believers in Jesus, it's good to walk rightly with God. It's good to do right. It's good to do good, to be obedient to God. But you're not doing that in order to get saved. You're doing those things because you are saved. Now, um, Notice in verse 5, or in verse 11, as we um, kind of see if we can draw this to a close, he says, but we believe that we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. He says, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the conclusion That's where our hearts should rest, and that's what should guard our hearts. Remember uh, one of the aspects of the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, guards our minds, is knowing what salvation is. It keeps us from being deceived. It keeps us from being led astray. Now also notice in verse 8, he says that um, God made a choice among you that And then in verse 7 and 8, God made a choice among you that people would hear the word of God and they would believe the word of God. This is the basic gospel. And this would be the basic invitation for anybody who's wrestling with God right now. If you're not sure about your relationship with God, the simple truth is hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that he loves you, that he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And hear that 
believe in that. And the, God says that the faith that, he, the faith that you have in him, he will use to apply the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God to forgive you of all of your sins and your hearts will be cleansed. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. My plea to you today is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For the believers in the room, I just want to invite you again. Beware of the danger of being deceived and being weighed down by a false gospel. Rejoice in the freedom that God has given to you of being saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Pray that God will protect our hearts and our minds and our joy of salvation. But then also, I'd like to invite you to uh, beware of the danger of hypocrisy and standing aloof from other Christians because you're afraid of what other people might think. Now, that seems a little... Um, uh, a little bit interesting to uh, consider that when you when you think that they're you're dealing with two different kinds of two very different kinds of people in the church. You have people coming from this cultural background and people coming from this other cultural background, and you have some that were very religious people and some that were very pagan. You have all these liberal pagans that are coming to believe in Jesus Christ. And you have all these really conservative Jewish people that are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They're all being mixed up in the church and they're trying to associate with each other. But then there's all this prejudice. Even Peter got caught up with it. Peter, he's already, he's preaching this truth to the church. But yet at the same time, it wasn't long after that, that Paul had to rebuke Peter because Peter was showing favoritism. In the book of Galatians, uh, Paul tells Peter in chapter 2, verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, so Peter went to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. He says, I oppose him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, James being a Jew, the Jewish people came to Antioch. He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fear, aloof fearing the party of the circumcision, meaning that Peter went to Antioch to visit all these new believers and to rejoice in the salvation of all these Gentiles. And he was sitting down with the Gentiles. He was preaching the gospel of uh, the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And, and he was encouraging them and he was being encouraged by them. He was eating with them and he was enjoying fellowship with them. But then the Jewish Christians came to town and they had all these customs and laws and conservative religious practices that they were following. Peter, being a, a former Jew, he, he was kind of, uh, he, he became afraid of what they might think about him hanging out with all these liberal pagans. And he was afraid that they would judge him. And he was afraid that they would look at him differently if he was associating with all these other Christians who acted a little bit differently than he did. And so he stopped hanging out with the Gentiles and he went over to spend time with the Jewish Christians. But then it says that he stood aloof, meaning that that's a form of, of coldness. It is a form of disassociation, like he was not acknowledging their presence. He was giving them the cold shoulder. And Paul saw that and he said, hey, Peter, what are you doing? 
you're being a hypocrite. You were just preaching to them the joy of salvation, and now you're treating them like they're not enough, like they're not doing enough. He says, what are you doing? You need to stop that. Peter said, he said, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned, meaning that he basically had condemned himself. The very message that he was preaching, he wasn't living out. So as believers, we all are susceptible to the very same kind of thing in a sense that we believe these things, but it's another thing to live them out. And to recognize that when we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all coming from very different religious backgrounds that we, are, we need to remember that we look at one another through the gospel. We see one another through the lens of the fact that we are all sinners that are saved by Jesus Christ, and that's it. And yeah, we're going to live a little bit differently. We're going to do some things a little bit differently. I want to clarify again that that's not to condone sin. We'll have another sermon all about that. I don't want to go too much longer this morning. But it's not condoning sinful behavior. That there is a moral law of God that the church is encouraged to follow. But it's not what's necessary to be saved. So as we reflect on those things, beware of the dangers. Pray that God will guard our hearts and our minds. Pray that God will help us to treat one another as people who've been saved by grace. Pray that God will guard our hearts from hypocrisy and from the fear of man. And remember, most of all, and believe that we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith alone. By grace alone, through faith alone. That should be something we preach to ourselves all the time. Especially whenever we're afraid that we may, not, we may no longer meet the approval of God. Remember that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. Sometimes if we become convicted by a sin in our life, we think, you know what, I, um, I've done wrong. We're tempted to think maybe I'm not right with God anymore. Maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe I'm not forgiven anymore. It's good to be reminded that I'm forgiven because of the righteousness of Jesus, but recognize that the conviction of sin probably did come from the Holy Spirit who's telling you this is wrong and you should live differently. But you don't have to doubt your salvation in that process. You can be assured that you are a believer. In fact, it's because you're a believer that you're being convicted. It's because the Spirit's present in you that he's leading you in that way. So I invite you to pray through those things this morning as we reflect on how God led the church through that theological issue, as well as false teaching that we all know so well. Pray that God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.